Paul's, and tonight's reading comes from Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good, good evening, everybody, and welcome to St. Paul's. My name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. A particular welcome to those of you who are here for the very first time or watching online for the first time. We started looking at St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, last week. I'll do a very brief recap before we look at this passage. But let's pray that God would speak to us this evening. We praise you, Lord God, our Father, that you are a God who speaks. 
that you have spoken supremely through Jesus to us. But we praise you too for your words in the scriptures. And we pray that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and speak through that word, that ancient word, again to us tonight. Take the words I've prepared and breathe your life into them. And may each of us hear you speak to us tonight. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Philippians is a lovely letter of the New Testament. Most of the letters, Paul writes, are there to sort of correct something that's going a bit wrong in the life of the early church. But Philippians is a thank you letter, and, that, and it's full of joy. Dan introduced it to us last week and did a great job. Uh, a little recap for those who weren't here. Uh, you can read in Acts chapter 16 of how St. Paul wound up going to Philippi. Philippi is sort of northeast mainland Greece. This is his first venture into Europe, if you like, and Philippi is the first church that was founded in Europe. You may remember, if you know your Act of the Apostles, how he first of all went to the river and met some women praying, including Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, that is affluent. I always think of Lydia as darling and her beautiful purple cloth. And she is the first convert, and she invites them back to her house, uh, and that's where the church starts. Uh, the next person we meet in Acts 16 is the slave girl who Paul casts an evil spirit out, and she presumably joins the church. And people are so fed up with, the, uh, with what Paul's doing that he gets thrown into prison, and the Philippian jailer gets converted. He's the third one we know. And last week we saw how Paul thanked the church in Philippi for their support from the first day until now. Let's just recap this. This is Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the letter starts with thanks and it finishes with thanks for that partnership. We're a few years later now. Paul has wound up in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. Uh, he is chained to soldiers. There's a parade of soldiers going through, presumably on four-hour shifts. Now, I don't know what they made of it. What are you doing today? I've got to be chained to that nutter in prison. He's going to talk to me about Jesus again for four hours. Anyway, that's where he is. He's chained up. Uh, and the Philippians have sent him some provisions through a chap called Epaphroditus. And this is a thank you letter. So an advance, warn, advance notice of chapter 4 and verse 18, we get this. I've received full payment for their gratitude. I'm, I've had enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So Paul has received these gifts that would have helped to provide for his needs. Epaphroditus has stayed there with Paul for a while. And Paul's writing this letter to send back, to Epaph back with Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. So in chapter 2, verse 25, you get, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who's your messenger who you sent to take care of my needs. So that gives you a kind of just a very, very basic background to this letter. The church in Philippi uh, that has sent Paul provision. He's in prison. He's writing a thank you letter. He's sending the letter back with Epaphroditus. And while the letter rings with joy, as Dan told us last week, there's also an undercurrent of suffering going on. And Dan talked to us about perseverance when things are difficult. So in verse 12, our first verse from this evening, 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Uh, this is it's almost British understatement. We know that Paul was a Middle Eastern Jew, but it feels almost British. What, ha- what had happened to him? Well, mob violence, torture, an assassination plot, shipwreck, and a death sentence. And he says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It reminded me, reading this again, of a clip I saw of a British ambassador in an embassy overseas that had just been bombed. And they managed to do a BBC interview with him. And he came out a bit dishevelled, brushing the dust off, straightening his tie. And the interviewer says, how, how are things? And he says, well, they've really been rather tricky. Sort of thing. And Paul, this is extraordinary understatement. Paul's life has been in danger. And he just says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Because in a strange way, the fact that in his suffering, he was able to keep on proclaiming Jesus, that gave courage to everybody else to keep on proclaiming Jesus. In the last century, there were loads and loads of fresh translations of the New Testament for sort of 400 years. It was the King James Version. Uh, But as there were all these fresh translations into modern English, uh, one of them, J.B. Phillips, the translator, said when he was translating the New Testament, from time to time it felt so alive, he said it was a bit like an electrician rewiring a house but with the main still on. From time to time it would sort of send a jolt through him. And we've got one of those verses that is such a jolt tonight, verse 21, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll think about that again in a moment. But it's an extraordinary thing to say. We are so used to comfort. And we find, gosh, I find wearing a mask, one of the great joys of preaching is I don't have to wear a mask to preach. But I hate the things. And I get, I mean, this is utterly trivial compared to what St. Paul was facing. But we're so used to comfort. Uh, and this gives us a fresh perspective on serving Christ. For Paul, life and death were as one. It was serving Jesus was what mattered. And the choice would not be his to make. It was going to be made for him. It seems likely from what we can gather in history that he was killed in Nero's great persecution of 64 AD. Uh, But for him, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a bit like choosing whether you're going to go on holiday to Cornwall or Devon. You know, well, I don't really mind. It's all right. It's, I mean, this is an extraordinary attitude. Um, the one thing he wouldn't do is buy life by denying Jesus. Jesus mattered to him more than life and death. Uh, I remember many years ago watching that great film about Thomas More, A Man for All Seasons. I don't know if you've if you've watched that, or sort of the intrigue going on around the time of Henry VIII. And there were those who were committing shipwreck of their faith and treachery in order to stay in with King Henry VIII, and those who were staying true to Jesus and were suffering for it. Uh, And there's a particular bounder called Richie Rich who's always committing treachery in order to stay in power. Uh, And Thomas More says to Richie Rich at one point, what did you get for your treachery? And Richie Rich looks rather pleased with himself and says, Wales. (laughs) And Thomas More quotes Jesus, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And then says, 
but for Wales. <laughs> no, apologies to those who are Welsh here. But the point is, St. Paul would never have denied his faith or compromised his faith in Jesus for any reward. I don't know if you're a football fan. Uh, I've been a Spurs fan uh, for many years, which is usually uh, tough. Uh, we were playing this afternoon. I don't even know the final result, but it's, uh, you can, I'll find out later. It's been a great season to be a Liverpool fan. Many of you are Liverpool fans. Bill Shankly, the great Liverpool manager from the 60s and 70s, said, some people say football's a matter of life and death. Frankly, I'm disappointed by that attitude. It's much more important than that, <laughs> he said. Now, St. Paul would say about following Jesus, this really is more important than life or death. For me to live is Christ. But to die is gain because the gospel is such good news. It's not just forgiveness now. We're washed clean of our sin. We're adopted into God's family and we can call God our heavenly father. He puts his Holy Spirit in us and we know that death is not the end. And we will be with Jesus for all eternity in the whole new heaven and new earth. So St. Paul says some things really do matter. And there are three in this passage that he says really do matter. Uh, the first one is that the progress of the gospel really matters. Let me read to you again verses 12 to 18. And thank you, Katie, for reading it so well earlier. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then I'll just jump on to verse 18. Some are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, some genuinely. Verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The first thing that matters is that the good news, gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. This is Paul's burning ambition to tell other people about Jesus. That's what led him to those missionary journeys. And that's what led down the years to people building this church. Uh, it's now 147 years ago. Our 150th is within sight in three to four years. Uh, the foundation stone was eight, Ascension Day 1873. The first service, Ascension Day 1874. They did it in a year, amazing. Uh, and they, when they did it, they put this plaque up and wrote here. And this is the reason they did it. To the praise of God, who by his grace enabled his servant, the Reverend Thomas Bromley, MA, Vicar of St. Mary's Leamington, faithfully to preach the gospel of Christ. And in earnest desire for the spiritual welfare of this part of St. Mary's parish, with the generous help of many friends, to build this church and constitute St. Paul's a separate ecclesiastical parish, that the word of life may here be made known to future generations for the glory of the Saviour and the blessing of the church. Uh, apologies, those watching on screen, if I just drifted out of sight for a minute there. Uh, but that's why this place was built, that good news could be brought to the people who lived round here all those years ago. And St. Paul tells the Philippians, don't worry about my chains. I'm working my way through the whole of Caesar's crack palace troops, one or two by two, four hours at a time. Don't worry, there's an opportunity for the gospel. Now, I keep on meeting Christians who would love to do more, but say I'm a bit stuck. I'm a bit chained up. Now, St. Paul was chained up, and it didn't limit the gospel. Some people 
feel they're chained to a sink or chained to looking after little people or chained to a desk or chained to an office or perhaps chained, locked down at home. But the gospel is never chained. There are always opportunities for telling others about Jesus. I don't know if you know the story of Susanna Wesley. This is John and Charles Wesley's mum. She was a formidable woman. She had 19 children and you didn't mess with Susanna Wesley. She always had her daily prayer time the only way she cut there was a chair and she'd pull her skirts over her head and if she did that you kept quiet but she was chained to the house but she taught her children about Jesus and her son John led a national revival her son Charles wrote these great hymns many of which we still sing today and she might have felt chained in that house but an enormous effect for the gospel now the gospel is not chained I heard uh, one friend, I was speaking on Zoom with him earlier this week, said he felt led to put something of his testimony in Jesus on Facebook. He said over a thousand people had seen it and someone he was at school with 25 years ago got in touch and said, I'd been thinking about God and remembering my grandmother and reading that led him to become a Christian. The, the gospel's not chained. Even if you're in lockdown, you can communicate in different ways. The point is, are we full of Jesus? And if we are, it will overflow to those who, are, who we meet, whether we meet them online or whether we meet them physically. Paul was chained up in a Roman prison. And if he could rejoice that the gospel could be spread, then we can wherever we are. So keep close to Jesus and look for opportunities to share something of your faith. The world is full of anxiety, full of uncertainty, and we have a message of hope and good news. And people are crying out for it. And the more you look out for these opportunities, the more you'll see them. There's something in our brains, I forget what it's called, the, the brain scientists have a particular name for this, that is looking out for particular things. Let me give you some examples. Uh, when we had twins, we had twins when my oldest was still one, so we had three under two for a bit, which looked very careless and was hard work. But we didn't notice twins very often. After that, we noticed them everywhere. Gosh, there's twins everywhere, because our brains were wired to notice them. By the time we had five children and we bought a VW Caravelle, that's a kind of minibus as our family car, we'd never really noticed Caravelles before. Then we noticed them everywhere, because our brains were wired to that. Uh, Twelve years ago, we got a lovely yellow Labrador called Dudley, who's now an old boy, we noticed Labradors everywhere. We never really noticed them very much. For Obviously, in Leamington, they're guide dogs, so you spot them everywhere. The point I'm making is that if your brain is wired to look for something, you will spot it. And if you are wired to think, how can I share something of my faith in Jesus, you will find opportunities. When you're texting someone who comes to mind, you don't just text, uh, or you, if the Lord might lead you, not just text, hi, I was thinking of you, how are you? You might put, is there anything I can pray for you? That's quite a powerful thing for someone who may not share your faith, but they're wondering how to cope. Uh, amazing how many times you may be led to say something. Uh, so we're going to be praying that the Lord will open our eyes to spot opportunities. We need to do it naturally, and a lot of the small groups are going to be thinking about how to do this naturally this term. Uh, we don't force it, but if you're full of Jesus, it will overflow. Uh, the progress of the gospel matters. Uh, even if we are struggling and suffering as St. Paul was. Here's the second thing. The growth of other Christians as disciples of Jesus matters. So Paul is really concerned that the Philippians and the other young churches of this time 
grow as disciples of Jesus. Let me read to you from verses 19 onwards again. Uh, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, he's thinking, this is extraordinary stuff. When do you hear people talking about this? I would rather die and go and be with Jesus, but it's probably better I'm here because I've got a job to do. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I remember vividly as a student meeting people who thought like that for the first time. The vicar of the church where I was in Oxford was a guy called Michael Green, his great friend David Watson, who'd had an international ministry, died of cancer in his 50s. And I remember the day Michael told us at church about David, uh, that David had gone to be with glory. And you could see Michael wanted to be there too. I had a friend called Robert in those days, wonderfully gifted fellow, who said he was full of life, uh, very gifted in many ways. But he said, but I just love Jesus. What I really want to do is be with him. A year later, Robert died in a terrible train accident and we remembered that he had said this and it was extraordinarily powerful. I remember three friends at that time, I was just 24 or so, dying within six months. One friend had a mountain accident, one a bus accident, one a train. And I really choked up about this, but I knew that they were Christians. Now, I had not got to the point where I thought I'd rather be with the Lord. I was enjoying living and I thought that will come later. Well then I got ordained and got married and we had three children under two and four under five and we came here 20 years ago, some of you were here, uh, with five children under 10 who are now all in their five children in their 20s. Um, it was a very hot Monday evening when I became the vicar in the days when we wore robes. I remember it was far more uncomfortable than the mask. Um, and life was so exhausting that I often thought, gosh it would be nice to be with the Lord. <laughs> But actually, here's my family who need me. And St. Paul is saying that it would be wonderful to be with Jesus in glory, where everything will be sorted out. No more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. With the Lord, perfectly. But, he says, I think it's better for your sake, Philippi and the other young churches, that I stay here. So if we're here, we can do useful stuff for the Lord. And if the Lord takes us home, it's better. Have you got to that attitude not yet? Uh, most of the time, I haven't. Occasionally, I touch it. But it's usually when I'm really tired <laughs> or ill. Uh, but Paul is full of it, and it's a challenge to us. But he says, I'd rather stay here so you can grow. What can you do to help younger Christians grow in their faith? Some are working with our children's team, some with our young people, with our students. We have a whole load of people who mentor students one-to-one. -one. I had a lovely email this afternoon from one of our church members who just said in passing, uh, I've, been I've been meeting up one-to-one -one with my small group leader uh, to read through a gospel, and I've really grown in my faith. 
uh, that person's here tonight, but I'm not going to embarrass them. But what a wonderful thing to, week by week, read part of the scriptures with someone and really help them to get it. What can you do that would help invest in a Christian growing more? Uh, so the progress of the gospel matters. Let's look for opportunities to share our faith in Jesus. The growth of other Christians matters. What can we do to help other people who are younger than us in the faith grow? And then one more thing, and this much more briefly, our lifestyle as Christians matters. Just verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The lives of you and me and Christians really matters. Why? Why should anybody believe what we say if our life doesn't match it up? We speak of a God of love and faithfulness and justice. A God who's very prepared to do difficult things, but does it with love. How good are we at that? A God of forgiveness. A God of patience. Uh, how good are we at that? Uh, now, I'm not trying to beat us up, I think, as St. Paul's Church. I think we're reasonably good at living out the gospel, but we could be better. And in a moment, we'll just give some time to the Lord. Say, Lord, do you want to put your finger on something that needs attention? Is there something that I need to give attention to in the way I live? Is it to do with my relationships, my money, my time, my thoughts? What, what can I do that will bring more glory to you? Because, of course, people who don't share our Christian faith are unlikely to start by reading the Bible. They look at us and think, does it ring true? And the vast majority of people who come to Christian faith do it because they see something in a Christian that is attractive and different, and they want to find out more. Uh, we don't have to be perfect. We just ha it just has to be real. And there's so much good stuff we're doing that does attract people to Jesus. But it's really important that our lifestyle attracts him. Uh, attracts is it points to him and sort of backs up what we say uh, so three things St Paul says matters obviously there are more things that matter uh, but there he is in his prison cell writing a thank you letter and almost as a by the by he says what really matters is that the good news of Jesus is preached whether I live or die that Christians are built up in their faith so I'll probably live a bit longer and he probably did to work around the churches and that Christian people live out what they say they believe. So would you stand? If you're feeling very brave at home, you might want to stand at home. <laughs> We're going to pray that God will come by his spirit and minister to us. If you're new to us here at St. Paul's, just a word of explanation. I'm going to pray that God will just come in even greater measure by his spirit. And we'll just be still and see what he wants to do in us. And it may be one of those three areas. Uh, something about my lifestyle, Lord. Is there anything that you want me to change? Uh, is there anyone I can look to help him that God may put a younger Christian on your mind to see if you can invest in them? Uh, or maybe folks who don't share our Christian faith uh, to look to see if we can share something of the Lord's love with them. But Lord Jesus, how we praise you for St. Paul and his utter commitment to you, whether he lived or he died. We praise you for the way he planted so many churches and this one in Philippi in Europe for those who passed the good news on down the years until it came here to St. Paul's back in 1873 or four uh, with the wonderful folks from St. Mary's Church, our mother church. And we thank you for those who've worshipped here down the years since then, those who've 
taught children and young people, those who've shared their faith, even to those who are doing it today and looking to share their faith online with Alpha and in so many different ways. Send your Holy Spirit now on us. Come, most Holy Spirit, and minister to us. And if there's a particular thing you would have us give attention to or a particular person you would have us look to invest in, bring it or them to mind now, we pray. Let's keep still. for any of us for whom it's an area of our lifestyle will you give us strength to change that to bring it in line with you as our Lord if it's friends who aren't yet Christians family members give us grace to share something of the good news with them would you help us to see the opportunities there are to share our faith as we're in conversation with people, whether face-to-face -face or online or text or any other way. We pray for those who are young Christians among us, that you'd help us as a church to help them grow in their faith and be discipled. We pray for those uh, who are older Christians, that perhaps you'd show who to invest in and share their faith with. But we pray that whatever happens, we long that this virus would be over and a vaccine would be found, but whatever happens, Lord, may the good news of Jesus be proclaimed, face to face or online. Whatever happens, may we grow closer to you. And whatever happens, may our lives back up what we say. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do be seated again. Uh, we're going to sing again in just a moment that hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which with that last line, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It's an opportunity just to say to Jesus, yes, you've done all this for me and to give my life back to you. Uh, just before we sing that, um, probably just worth uh, saying we've got an online alpha course coming up in a few weeks' time. It looks like it's going to be on Monday evening, starting in October. Alpha has worked online amazingly well. Uh, and so do look to invite people to come to that or to watch our services online. We'll say more about that over the next couple of weeks and we'll communicate about it. Uh, but it may be that there's someone you want to invite. Anyway, let's sing, or not sing, let's hum. <laughs> or you can speak the words behind your mask, I gather. <laughs> but we're not allowed to sing them for some reason. Uh, let's, um, let's worship the Lord using this great hymn.